Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be learning together Mikates Shvi, the seventh and last Aliyah in Pasha's Mikates. The topic of our Aliyah is the Goblet and Binyamin. We're learning through 22 Psukim from Berak Mem Gimel Pasuk Lamed to Berak Mem Dalit Pasuk Yud Zion. Um, let's take a look at a brief overview and then some basic points to ponder. So we hear that Yosef, as he's given this blessing to his brother Binyamin, is, is overcome by emotion. Um, he turns to the side, he cries, and then he washes his face and comes back. And he, he tells them to set up the table, and they start setting up. And it's interesting, the seating arrangement, because the Mitzrim, the Egyptians, sit by themselves, um, because they don't want to sit with the Ivrim, with the, the Hebrews, and um, and he is sitting by himself. So it's interesting that, that there's all this separation seating. And then he does more separation, where he, he places everybody according to Bechor according to their age, um, stations in the family, and the people are quite uh, they are quite in shock, they're in wonder as at the, what's going on and at how the arrangements are being made. So anyways, he, he places all these portions in front of them and he gives Binyamin five times the amount that they get, and they have a very lovely and uh, and uh, wonderful party together. Then in the, he makes the commands to the person in charge of his house to fill up all of their, um, their bags with grain, and he also t- tells him to return their money once again, and tells him to put the the silver goblet that Yosef um, has, and he puts it in. It tells him, instructs him to put it into the bag of the youngest of them, and that's what he does. So haboker or is a phrase which is an idiom today in Israel. The morning is light, and the people are off, and they are on their way. And as they don't, haven't got too far, when he also commands the person in charge of his house to pursue them, and he catches up with them, he says, "Are you trying to repay good with evil?" He says, there's the cup my master uses to use it for all kinds of sorcery. Have you taken it? And they were, they were so shocked by this. They said, they said, God forbid that we should ever do such a thing. We, we, we found the, the money, we brought it back. Why should we ever steal anything of your masters? And they, they, and, and, and they, and they, they say, whoever finds this will, will die. We'll never do such a thing. And that's what they do, and they take off their sacks. They're innocent, very eager to prove their innocence, and that's what. And they're in the pro middle of doing this, and they do that, and they start at the oldest, and they go all the way down to Binyamin, and they find the Gavii Hagavia Hakesef. They find the silver goblet there, and they tear their clothes. They realize the gravity of the situation. They start returning back, and Yehuda comes to the house, and and he prostrates himself in front of Yosef, and he says, Yosef says, "What's going on over here? Why are you trying to?" Take what I was using, my my cup and my goblet. You're 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 busy doing this. So I said, look, you're right. You're 100 percent right. We we there's no excuses we can make. Um, we will be servants to you. Just uh, you know, we we can't. Uh, there's nothing we can say. And he says, no, I never take you servants. You know what? The person who has who stole the cup, who yelil evet, he'll be the slave. Atem alu leshalom elavichem. Go back in peace to your father. And that's how the parsha ends. It's a very strong cliffhanger here. Few basic points to ponder. Question number one is: What is the significance of their seating arrangements at the table over here? Why do we need to know all of this? So Rav Soloveitchik points out that even after Yosef's serving and sa- of Egyptian society and ultimately saving their society, they still never really fully accept him. Which means that he remains apart and alone. Which is fascinating. I mean to say, even after all his incredible success in Egyptian society, he still remains a man apart. An experience, a lonely experience that Jews have had in every society in which they inhabit. It Zakanian points out that this is why they are puzzled. This is why it says, The people are in wonder. 
because they wonder why is it that this Egyptian viceroy does not sit with his own people as well. However, it could be that what they are um, in wonder of is not the aloneness, the separation of the different races or the different cultures, but rather it is because of the order in which he sat there. In fact, Rabbeinu Bachai quotes a very beautiful Medrash, Rashi also cites this, that what he would do is he would tap his gavia, his silver goblet, and in the noise he would say, he would say, Reuven Shimon Levi Yehudi Yisachar Zvulun, sit over there. You're the, the children of one mother. And then he goes through each of them in such a way, and he got to Binyamin, and he says, oh, well, he doesn't have a, a mother, and I don't have a mother, so he should sit next to me. So the, the what you see over here is a sort of setup for the um, theft of the Gavir, because because obviously this is now, he's showing them something which is of great value, which would imp implicate them in why they would want to have taken. This provides the um, the reason why the motive for the theft is, is by doing this over here. Um, what you also see over here, says Rabbi Bahaye, is you see that there was a certain magic in Egypt at this point in time, which was which was based around sound, being able to hear and, and understand and intuit what's going on. So the next thing we hear about over here is, and this is really fascinating, is that Yehuda or the brothers themselves make a statement here, which is a very very heavy statement. It takes us back to the statement that Yaakov Avinu made when accused by theft earlier on. If you remember, when Lavan catches up with Yaakov and his wives and children at the end of Pasha Slayetzai, Yaakov Avinu was so morally sure that his family would never steal anything from Lavan that he made the, the, the statement that anybody who has the, who's found to hold the Trophim will die, and in fact that's what happens. The Gomorrah Marcus tells us that even though uh, that he did not know yet that, that Rachel had it, but nonetheless his words had the gravity of, uh, of having the decree on Rachel's life. So what's interesting over here is that in this particular case, my mother actually asks this question, which I think is a really fascinating question, is we never seem to see that this statement over here, that who, they, they make the statement here, yeah, whoever has the cup should die. We never see that that had ever fulfilled itself. And so I wonder if perhaps in, there might be an application to this, which is in the future. And that is, is that there is an episode in Jewish history in which the tribe of Binyamin, not the person Binyamin, but the tribe of Binyamin is almost completely destroyed, obliterated from the face of the earth to the point of almost extinction. No, uh, no other tribe ever has this, but Binyamin does. And that's the end of, end of uh, Sefer Shoftim. Sefer Shoftim recounts an episode, a very, very terrible episode following a terrible rape and murder of a young lady who enters into the area of Binyamin and, uh, and she is, uh, the, the, there is justice which is being demanded. Her husband decides to demand justice. He pulls together an army of 400,000 of the tribes of Israel. They demand that the perpetrators be released for justice. And Binyamin refuses to release the perpetrators and then makes a, a war. And the war ensues where tens of thousands of people are killed and almost the entire tribe of Binyamin um, Barring 600 men are absolutely wiped out. They're not allowed to marry into the into the community again, and they have to find a way to work around in order to be able to allow them to marry. It's a very shocking moment in Jewish history, a very dark time in Jewish history. And what is fascinating is that the name of the place, the the village which is under contest of where this whole episode centers around, is a place called um, Giva. This is called Pilegesh Begiva, and it's interesting to notice that it's a very similar kind of sounding word to. Gvia, which is the Gvia Kesef. I would wonder if the statement of the brothers over here that whoever has with them the Gvia will die. Perhaps this does have later ramifications in Sefer Shoftim as well. Finally, one last shocking perspective to, to notice over here, and that is, is that the, the Rabbeinu Bechaya quotes a Kabbalistic teaching in which it says, he says that this last Pasuk in the parasha 
which is the, that um, as they close, the, as Yosef closes, you go in peace to your father. It's not a statement of peace, but rather it is you will meet your father in heaven. That means to say that this is going to be a reference to the ten martyrs who will be killed in the future because uh, because of the sale of Yosef. And that means to say that what Yosef is ultimately saying is there will be repayment for what's being said over here, what was done over here. You, there's going to be that shalom in the future. And this refers to the ten martyrs who are killed. What is interesting about this is is that um, that this cruelty which they had to Yosef is what triggered this whole process. That's why later on, if you read the Eile Ezkara, which is the Piut, which is de, de, which describes this whole episode of the ten Adasorehorogamalchos, the way it starts in this version of the Medrash is that the, uh, that Hadrian, the king, puts in front of him a pile of shoes and he summons the Chachamim, the sages of his time to them, and he asks them, he says, you know, I've been studying your, your Bible, and I found, I wanted to ask you an interesting question. What is the halacha if somebody kidnaps and sells a brother um, or a sister in Israel? And the sages say, well, the, the penalty is death, as all the Torah says. And he says, well, what happened to, to you? Did anybody pay the debt for the, the sale of Yosef? And they say, well, not really. So he says, well, I'll take you as payment for it. And they begged that they could ch- see that if this is spiritually the, approved and they, and uh, one of the sages goes up and enters into the celestial realms and, and finds out that that in fact is the case, that they are being decreed for death because of this. So it links back to the story. What is interesting over here, the Rabbeinu Bechai asks in a later place, is, but wait a second, if you say, account the amount of brothers who are liable um, for the sale of Yosef, there really are only nine, because Binyamin wasn't there, and Reuven had left and said, let's not do it. So Yosef's not selling himself, so there's only nine brothers left. So why would there be Asura Haruge Malchus, ten martyrs, then in the end, which are attributed or connected to the, the, the sale of Yosef? So Ben Machai makes a, a remarkable statement where he says that the reason is is that the tenth martyr or the tenth guilty party over here is Yosef himself for not having forgiven them, but not having released them. Then ultimately, he remained. He was also part of the debt. Of the reason why this continued and why this debt remained completely unpaid till the later stage in history, where the neshamas of those ten holy people had to suffer to go through this to repay this debt. Very, very shocking understanding. And that actually reflects the, the real the, the real understanding of what's going on with Asura Haruga Malchus. Yes, it's true that spiritually speaking, their souls were repaying this debt. But it's also true that the generation in, the, in which they were living were repeating the same the same sins of Mechiras Yosef. Those who sell their brothers because they disagree with them. And those who do not forgive their brothers for the wrongdoing that was perpetrated against them. Both the brothers and the Yosef side. Those were repeating themselves and continued to repeat themselves throughout the course of Jewish history. Which is why it's repaid. Not only as a function of what happened historically, but what happened in the present as well. A very powerful and very shocking lesson to be able to absorb. With this we close. Parashas Miketz. Be'ezra Hashem. We will continue with Vayigash next week. In the meantime, have a wonderful and meaningful Shabbos.